This is Futurecast 101. This is Futurecast 101. Hello, this is Stephen Renzi for Futurecast 101, a student project of the College of St. Benedict and St. John's University. Today's topic, fresh water availability in the year 2050. Every living thing on this planet requires clean water as a necessity of life. It is an unfortunate fact that water pollution is turning into a major problem due to the need for this valuable resource. Water is often thought of as a renewable resource, but what if this is wrong? What if mankind's actions right now mean that the world is running out of clean water? The world population continues to grow daily, and every one of those people needs water. It isn't even necessarily the supplies that is the issue, but how it is distributed. In the year 2050, while there will likely be plenty of fresh water in the world, there will still likely be shortages in drinking water due to distribution and lack of sufficient purifying technology. The wealthier areas of the world will have much less to worry about on this issue, but developing countries are in serious danger due to this. Earth has a great deal of fresh water. The main problem is that extremely little is accessible. Barbara Kingsolver wrote an article in National Geographic entitled Fresh Water. According to this article, calculations had been made in 2010 to show that about 69.6% of water is frozen in glaciers. 30.1% is in underground aquifers, and the last 0.3% of the water is on the surface. Glacial water, while generally clean, is extremely difficult to obtain. For the most part, the only viable method tends to be to let the ice melt naturally. With the presence of global climate change warming many of the regions that have glaciers, this may be a small benefit to an otherwise terrible situation. Underground aquifers also provide quite a challenge to extract from. These are underground layers of stone, generally made of permeable sandstone or limestone. Though any caverns with cracks in the rocks above and an impermeable bottom can do. While limestone and sandstone are fairly soft for rocks, the aquifers tend to be pretty deep. For example, the Ogallala Aquifer can be under about 90 meters of rock in some places. Furthermore, the depth can reach up to an additional 150 meters, according to Becky Oskin in Aquifers, Underground Stores of Fresh Water. The drills must reach the top edges of the aquifer, and the pipes used for extraction of the water have to reach close to the bottom of the basin. There is also no way to guarantee the quality of water as it goes into treatment, meaning each reservoir and pump station requires different levels of filtration. Aquifers are capable of being refilled by rainwater, but the water also picks up any pollutants that it has to flow through. This brings up another challenge associated with both aquifers and surface water, as most of the world grows drier, there is less water flowing into these natural containers. Population continues to grow daily, so this is part of what turns an area into a water-critical zone. The water on the surface is the easiest to access, but must also be used by the wildlife. Being easiest to access also makes it extremely easy to pollute. This can range from cleaning chemicals, to different types of fertilizers, to the feces of a wild animal. However, access isn't the only problem. Efficiency is also a major issue. If we can't lower the amount of water we use for infrastructure, then the problem will only get worse. The amount of water mankind has access to means fairly little if it isn't used efficiently. First, fresh water is divided into two categories. Blue water is surface and groundwater, and is generally what a person might think of when it comes to fresh water. Green water is water stored in organisms and in soil. 
This is an important distinction because humans are only using about 10% of available blue water and 30% of green water. This comes from the paper Global Hydrological Cycles and World Water Resources by Taikan Oki and Shinjiru Kanai. We aren't using all the water that we have access to due to the lack of efficiency. This will grow into more of a problem as water sources become unusable for one reason or another. If additional water is brought into the system sooner, then it may help to delay the results of this problem. Knowing how much water we currently have access to is only part of the necessary background. Water requirements are equally important. Water scarcity is a very serious growing problem. According to the United Nations, the world population will reach 9.8 billion by the year 2050. The current population is already at about 7.3 billion. In an article written by Angela Ogunjimi, the average human male requires about 3.7 liters of water every day, while the average female requires about 2.7 liters. According to the CIA World Factbook, the approximate ratio of male to female is 1.02 to 1. This means that there is roughly 3.67 billion males and 3.63 billion females. The total amount of water needed for this many people would be about 23.38 billion liters of water daily. This does not include irregularities due to an individual's daily lifestyle. Someone who lives in a warmer or drier environment would have to consume more, as would someone who is more physically active. There is roughly 105.23 quintillion liters of fresh water on the planet, not including the water locked in ice. This is once again from Barbara Kingslover's article. Only 10% of this blue water is being used, meaning about 10.52 quintillion liters. Roughly 31% of this water is used for industry and agriculture, bringing the total available water to 3.26 quintillion liters. This is far more than what the world should currently need. Even with the population projection, the world will still only need 55.125 billion liters. This means that the problem is mainly in distributing the water. Less than 0.01% of the world's fresh water is needed. So why are there already shortages? What is the current state of the world when it comes to fresh water distribution? Many heavily populated areas across the world are already in a critical region when it comes to water availability. There are four scenarios that are used to determine if an area is in a water critical zone. The area is already under severe water stress and there is either an increase in water stress due to global cause increases by at least 1% annually, or the increase is greater than zero, or a medium stress area where either the stress increases by 1% annually or the stress increases by 1% and the watershed is in a highly susceptible region. This comes from Joseph Alcamo and Thomas Heinrich's paper entitled Critical Regions, a model-based estimation of world water resources sensitive to global changes, which was published in Aquatic Sciences. One of the most important parts about predicting the future of fresh water availability is knowing how the world currently stands on the issue. It is important to know what defines a water-critical zone and where they currently are in the world. Another vital detail is knowing how current fresh water sources fare when it comes to both cleanliness and sustainability. If a major source is going to dry up before 2050, then it will greatly change the distribution of fresh water. To clarify, the term fresh water is used to refer to non-salt water. It does not necessarily mean the water is actually fit for human consumption. 
It is also important to know where our current sources are and what form they take. If technology can adapt to harvesting new sources of water, then it will greatly increase our resources. Currently, water critical areas include southern United States, Mexico, South Africa, parts of Northwest Africa, the Nile Basin, the Middle East, Northern China, most of India, and more. If there is already this serious of a problem, then what hope is there for the future? There may be some areas that are growing more wet as a result of climate change, but the majority of the world is growing drier. This means that critical areas will likely spread to encompass millions more by 2050. This may include the rest of China and Central America, and larger portions of Africa and Australia. Furthermore, new water critical areas may start to appear in locations that are having smaller changes in climate. Much of the world's surface freshwater is at risk. Though the whole world may not have these troubles, lower hemisphere tropics might get by. Studies have shown that these areas of the world may actually grow wetter due to climate change. Many freshwater sources are already in the process of drying up. Rainfall is decreasing in most parts of the world, meaning the recharge zones for all sorts of bodies of water are receiving less runoff. One major instance of this is the Colorado River. The water level of the river has been slowly dropping for years now. This presents a number of major problems. Once the river drops to a certain point, the Hoover Dam will be unable to take in water for its generators. This is discussed in Tim P. Barnett and David W. Pierce's article, When Will Lake Mead Go Dry? in Water Resources Research. The dam provides much of the power needs to Las Vegas. If the water gets too low, the city that never sleeps will lose about 4 billion kilowatt hours per year of green electricity. The river also supplies 97.8 billion gallons of fresh water to Nevada, 1.4 trillion for California, 912.8 billion for Arizona, and, according to a treaty, 489 billion for Mexico. Not only will there be electricity problems, the leftover water will leave millions in a severe drought. The Colorado River already has about a 50% chance of drying up by 2037 and that's if there are no further changes to rainfall. This is just one example of a major impact in the United States. Smaller bodies of water worldwide could easily suffer similar problems from drying up. If one river drying up in America could have this much of an impact, then what would happen if dozens of rivers and lakes in poorer countries met the same fate? America is a fairly wealthy country. It could adapt to such a major change given time. However, other people with only small food and water sources keeping them alive would be all but cut off. Drying up isn't the only problem that water sources face. Pollution is also a major problem. The addition of salt particles can sometimes cause dangerous changes to the salinity of a body of water. This salt change can come from the riverbed, pollution, or simply removing water through evaporation or infrastructure to increase the ratio of salt to water. As rainfall continues to change, this will happen in many places that are getting decreased rainfall amounts. Any fish and plant life in a particular body of water are all adapted to survive within a specific range of salinity. Enough of a change can be catastrophic to the ecosystem. Changing the salinity by only 30 grams per liter is enough to damage local plants and animals. And 250 grams per liter is toxic to the more sensitive wildlife. That relatively small change is also enough to make the water non-potable for humans. The bigger side of the problem is that, at least in the United States, 
there are no laws to protect against this. The U.S. passed the Clean Water Act in 1972 to monitor and control point source pollution. This refers to pollution that comes from a single source, a pipe or similar, that one could point to. Dirt, dust, and other particulate matter can contain salt and other minerals that alter the salinity in a dangerous way, such as the situation in Lake Baikal in Russia. Between infrastructure use, weathering of the basin, and pollution, the salinity of the deepest lake in the world is steadily increasing. As for America, the lack of control over non-point source pollution allows large amounts of salt to enter our water, and our government can't prevent it. This means that mankind might have to rely on less accessible sources of water, such as aquifers. The country of India is a great place to look at for the subject of water availability. It is a very heavily populated area, sitting at about 1.35 billion, while unfortunately sitting in a water-critical zone. This can be attributed to how six of the country's most important agricultural regions are overexploiting groundwater in order to meet demands. Another factor is that the Ganges, one of India's main rivers, actually runs dry in parts of southern Asia during the dry season. Many people throughout northern India and southern China rely on this heavily polluted river for their daily needs. If the waters run dry in some areas, then any rainfall falling in the river's basin will pick up more minerals and pollutants on its journey to the river. According to an article in The Hindu, the gravest threat to groundwater in India isn't over-exploitation, but arsenic and salt contamination. Nearly 23% of the 300 billion cubic meters is extremely saline, and about 40% contaminated by arsenic. There are a great deal of problems such as this in developing countries. The poorer the people are, the worse it gets, with the wealthier countries getting by more or less fine. How can we help the ones who need it most? What are the solutions to this major global issue? One of the most obvious solutions to water availability is improving pipelines and aqueducts, even building new ones to bring water to where it is needed most. New York is one of the most densely populated cities in the world and requires millions of gallons of water that rainfall simply cannot fulfill. The solution was a couple of very large aqueducts, and they worked very well. However, one of the major drawbacks of the system is that they wear down over time. Due to the need for both tunnels of the aqueducts to be active, a third had to be built just so the city could close the other two one at a time for maintenance. The city's reliance on the tunnels make them a very clear target for terrorists. Another major weakness of the system is that a single tunnel can cost a fortune to build. Building one in a developing country would also involve tearing through possible farm fields and protected areas just to provide water to the people. Another potential solution could be to build aquifers that use the surrounding land as a basic filtration system. The water could be further treated and has the potential to provide adequate clean water for small settlements. This is mentioned in Peter Dillon's Future Management of Aquifer Recharge, published in Hydrology Journal. The problem with this is that such a system could only really help small settlements that still receive enough rain. A third potential option would be to improve filtration and desalinization technology. 